Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. We are getting close to the end of our study in the book of James. Today, we are in chapter 5 and will be talking about wealth, a matter of trust. We encourage you to open up your Bibles to James chapter 5 and follow along with Pastor Roy. We have been working our way through the book of James, and we are in chapter 5 today, and I've entitled the message, Wealth, a Matter of Trust. And I will have to say, as we uh, come into this portion of Scripture, uh, there, are, there are times where there's a temptation for a pastor to want to pole vault over a topic and skip it all together. Uh, this would probably be one of those topics. Now, here's the thing. As I was putting this message together, though, there's a, a sense of conviction because the conviction is this. All of us have this tendency. When we start talking about wealth, we say, well, that's not me. That's so-and-so who's two tax brackets ahead of me. But actually, it is us. It's probably all of us. And here's why. If we look at the population of poverty in the United States, in 2014, there were 47 million people who lived in Poverty USA. It means the poverty rate for 2014 was 15%. All those who make less than the federal government's official poverty threshold for a family of four is $24,000. So if you think you are not wealthy, (laughs) we're all wealthy. But our tendency for all of us is to always think of the person who is, like I say, a couple tax brackets ahead. But really, this is a message for all of us that we all need to take to heart. So this is not for just the wealthy. It's, it's all of us who are really wealthy. The poverty line for an individual in 2014, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, was $12,000. For two people, the threshold was 15000 Three people, 19,000, and four people, 24,000. So before we jump, do some gymnastics and just jump over this and say, well, that's not for me, it is. It's for all of us. And so I think we need to really consider what is before us this morning. There's a popular comedian that said, if money talks, all it ever says to me is goodbye. (laughs) And I think all of us can kind of relate to that idea. But let's read down through this uh, text here uh, in James chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who are not opposing you. I want to say a couple things at the outset. The Bible 
does not discourage the acquiring of wealth. In the law of Moses, rules are laid down for getting and securing wealth. The Jews in Canaan owned their own property and they worked it and they made produce. In several parables, Jesus indicated his respect for personal property and private gain. So there's nothing in the epistles even that contradicts the right of private ownership and profit. What the Bible does condemn, though, is acquiring wealth by illegal means or for selfish purposes. Several of the Old Testament prophets, if we look in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and even Amos gave a thundering judgment on God's people for fattening themselves and for neglecting the poor. So the people that James is addressing here, I think in this passage, is not even specifically believers, but he's really addressing, I think, unbelievers. Because many times in this letter, he writes to, and he says brothers, but here he does not say brothers. And the way they act, they're not acting like brothers. And he does not even tell them to repent and change their way, because it seems as though they are committed to this lifestyle of indulgence to the neglect of God's law, God's word, and God's person. And so it's important as we look at this passage and we think about wealth, a matter of trust, that we look at it that he is talking to unbelieving wealthy people who have committed four crimes for which they will be judged. So we're going to look at these four crimes this morning. The first crime is the hoarding of wealth. The hoarding of wealth. They kept far more than they needed. Somebody said that people can be divided into three classes, the haves, the have-nots, and the have-not-paid-for-what-they-haves. Because <laughs> there's a lot of people who have a lot of things that they haven't really paid for. But the unbelieving wealthy may escape poverty and financial hardship, but he's saying they will not escape God's judgment. These unbelievers have stockpiled wealth to spend on their own pleasure. They have built their life around their wealth and they have placed their trust in their wealth rather than in God. And he's saying they will face judgment not simply because they have wealth, but because of how they've misused their wealth. The idea here of coming, he says, now listen. He's saying, listen, come here is an invitation not just to look at their current position, but their pending future punishment. James is asking them to stop counting their money and start counting the cost of their lifestyle in relationship to a future judgment. So again, the scriptures do not condemn wealth, but it does condemn how we misuse and mishandle wealth. Wealth is a trust given to us by God, and God will hold us accountable for how we use our wealth. That's what James is saying. James then, he goes on to tell them, listen, you rich people, and how does he tell them to respond to this message? And here's why I think they're unbelievers. He tells them to weep and to wail. These two words are similar, but the weeping is the idea of they need to burst into tears. The second word carries the idea of outward howling with grief, 
to scream out loud, as it were, because you need to realize that something is coming. He gives two reasons why they should be weeping and wailing. The first one is because your wealth is temporal. Saying it's not going to be around here, it's fleeting, it's only going to be a short time because he told us earlier in James chapter 4 that our life is a vapor that appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. So our wealth is temporal. And he just demonstrates this with three descriptive phrases or word pictures in this passage. Notice what he says in, in verse 2. Your wealth has rotted. He's saying it is spoiled, it is decayed. Have you ever had spoiled milk in the refrigerator? <laughs> doesn't taste real good, it doesn't smell real good. He's saying your wealth has rotted. It's decayed. And then he goes on to say, and moths have eaten your clothes. Garments provide food for moths. It's filet mignon for moths. And it says garments and see garments were important in bible times land money clothing those were the important things grain oil all those things were important commodities in bible times he's saying moths have eaten your clothes and then notice in verse 3 your gold and silver are corroded it is rusted it is tarnished and therefore it is useless you have, in other words, stored up so much wealth that you can't even use it all, but yet you neglect to give any of it to the poor. That's what he's saying. That's quite an indictment that he brings on these unbelievers. He's telling them that you have hoarded up treasure and wealth in these last days. The second reason they should be weeping and wailing is because they will be judged. They will be judged. Notice what he says, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. And what is that misery? It is the future judgment of God when he calls them to account. They stand before God and they have to give an account of what they've done with their, their wealth and their life. You should have realized, he's saying, that the time is short and Christ will return. That's what he means by the last days. The last days between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ is a short span. And you should have realized that because the Old Testament prophets prophesied that he's coming back. And you should have listened. So he's telling them the durability of their riches is short-lived. The deterioration of their riches is certain. And the disgrace of their legacy is sure because he says their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh. Look at these verses in Matthew six nineteen and 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, Jesus says, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, even though he, James is, I think, addressing unbelievers here, I think there's always a message for us to consider as well as believers that what are we doing with our wealth as well. So the first crime is the hoarding of wealth, the excessive accumulation of stuff. 
The second crime they committed was failure to pay their workers. Notice he says here, in verse 4, Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. They were ripping off their employees to pad their own pockets. They demonstrated unethical business practices. They lacked integrity in how they managed their workers. They either held the wages back and were late in giving them, or they didn't give them at all, is what he's saying. And yet, there are principles in the Old Testament that God gave his people through Moses. Look at this. Do not take advantage of a hired man who is poor and needy. Whether he's a brother Israelite or an alien living in one of your towns, pay him his wages. And notice it says each day before sunset. Why? Because they didn't have much to begin with and it was hand to mouth and they needed that money daily. That doesn't mean as an employer you have to pay your employees every day. But in that day, it was required because he is poor and is counting on it. Otherwise, he may cry out to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. So here, God had laid down a principle that they were to obey and they were neglecting God's word and God's law. Here again in uh, Leviticus 19.13, do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight is emphasized in Scripture. Let me give you one more. Jeremiah twenty-two thirteen. 13. Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, making his countrymen work for nothing, not paying them for their labor. Boy, what an indictment. And God was holding his people accountable for this. Now let me say this as a summary statement that I think is crucial that we understand and listen to. And that is this, the dethronement of God will result in the mishandling of, can result in the mishandling of business and the mistreatment of people. Relationships are thrown to the dogs for the sake of profit. And failure to properly compensate employees will result in disgruntled workers. But here's the thing, it begins with the dethronement of God. When we dethrone God from our lives, we're not going to handle business the right way and we're not going to handle relationships in an honorable way either. And I think that then takes away from God's glory in our lives. Their actions, he's saying, are testifying against them that they do not possess saving faith. Because what does James say in chapter 2? Show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. So the very way we handle our life shows the reality of saving faith in our life and to those around us. They are operating with worldly wisdom. They're not interested in godly wisdom and they're unconcerned about the needs of their workers. Notice what he says in verse 4 again. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. It's interesting that James uses the term Lord Almighty, which means Lord of hosts. He means the Lord of the armies, 
who is going to come to the defense of people who are poor and, and defenseless. They're not able to defend themselves. They're not able to make a choice and maybe move to a different place. They don't have that ability. But God is saying, I'm going to come to their defense, just like he did the Israelites when they cried out when they were in bondage. God hears the cries of his people, and he will bring justice in due time. He will vindicate them and come to their defense. The third crime that was committed here. He says they lived in luxury and self-indulgence. Notice what he says in verse 5. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. This extravagant lifestyle demoralizes the poor. It would cause them to lose confidence and hope for their situation. Here again is an example in the Gospels of the example between the rich and the poor. There was a rich man who dressed in purple, because again, clothing was important, and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now it's interesting, in the King James Version it says, moreover, the dogs, so some people think the dog's name was moreover. But it wasn't. Um, but he lived in fine linen and luxury to the neglect of the poor. And that's what he is getting at here. Here's the indictment in Amos. I wanted to share one of these with you. There's more than one. But he says, this is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. They sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as upon the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. And then look at this. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God they drink wine taken as fines. And you can he just hear the wrath of God being built up toward that kind of extravagant, self-indulgent living, where he says, notice you have fattened yourselves. And actually in the original language, it means to fatten the heart. And what does the Bible say about the heart? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Our heart impacts what we do with our wealth. It really does. The heart is the place where sin germinates and grows. And whatever the heart gets fixed on, that's what it pursues. Their hearts pursued luxury and pleasure to the exclusion of the poor. One day there was a certain old rich man of a miserable disposition. He visited a rabbi who took this rich man by the hand and led him to a window. Look out there, he said. The rich man looked into the street. What do you see, asked the rabbi. I see men, women, and children, answered the rich man. Again, the rabbi took this man by the hand, and this time he led him to a mirror. Now, what do you see? Now I see myself, the rich man replied. Then the rabbi said this, 
Behold, in the window there is glass, and in the mirror there is glass. But the glass of the mirror is covered with a little silver, and no sooner is the silver added than you cease to see others, but only see yourself. He goes on to say that they have fattened themselves, and notice what it says in the very next phrase, in the day of slaughter. Just like cattle are fattened for the day of slaughter and loaded on the truck to go to the slaughterhouse, he's saying, you guys are just as blind and deaf as cattle. You don't even see it coming. He says in Jeremiah 12, 3, Yet you know me, O Lord. You see me and test my thoughts about you. Drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. God is saying there is a judgment day coming. Yeah, you can live in luxury and pleasure and self-indulgence all you want to, but just understand that one day you're going to give an account of what you've done with your stuff. And so am I. The fourth crime that James offers here is they murdered innocent men. Isn't it interesting how it seemed to go from bad to worse? He goes on to say in verse 6, You have condemned and murdered innocent men who are not opposing you. Now some would say this was judicial murder, where because of the lack of justice they murdered people with their injustice. Well, I think that could be true, but I also think he can be talking about literal murder as well. And the reason I say this is because there are several examples in Scripture of people who were murdered. Stephen was the first martyr in the early church. James, the son of Zebedee, Jesus was murdered for sharing the truth. James, the author of this book, became a martyr as well. The innocent men are believers. They are righteous men. Men who were defenseless or refused to fight back. But I want to remind us that 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that our life is not our own. We are bought with a price. Therefore, we are to glorify God in our body and in our spirit, which are God's. I don't know about you, but when you lay out the spreadsheet of your finances, where does God fit in to the spreadsheet? Where does God's church fit in to the spreadsheet? Because when I look at Scripture, He specifically tells us that we are to support His work. And not just a worker. Say, well, I'm supporting this person way over here, and I'm supporting that person. The church. That's what God instituted was the church. And all these other ministries are great, but they wouldn't be in existence without the church. And God has called the church to be the witness and to be the example to a lost and watching world. So God help us. Would you take out your spreadsheet and would you look at it or your checkbook ledger and saying, am I honoring the Lord with my wealth? Let's stand for a word of prayer. I would ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And again, the challenge here 
is not to look at people that have more than I do, because that's what we can easily do. The question is, what is God calling me to account in my own life? As I mentioned at the outset, we are all wealthy. Every one of us in this room, I think, are wealthy. There would probably be, hardly be a person here who would be below the poverty line. You say, well, my college student is. Well, that may be. <laughs> but you, know, you understand what I'm saying. And this is an opportunity for you to check the report card of your handling of wealth and what you are doing with it. Are you honoring the Lord with your wealth? You see, by withholding wealth from the Lord, you are saying, God, I don't trust you to give me what I need. Or I'm not ready to give up that part of control of my life to you. And so this is an opportunity for you to really consider where you're at with that. And I would challenge you, maybe you're here today and you have never really tithed to the Lord, given him of your wealth. Maybe this is your opportunity to consider giving to the Lord in a systematic, regular, faithful way. Because the scripture is pretty clear. We're all going to give an account of what we've done with our wealth. The Bible also says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And God wants your heart more than he wants your pocketbook. If you haven't given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the most important thing. And that's what he was telling these unbelieving rich people is you're going to give an account before God. If you haven't given your life to Christ, this is your opportunity, not to delay, but to give your life to Jesus Christ, who died on the cross. We sang this morning, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, that we could be forgiven. He shed his own blood to pay for our redemption. If you don't know Christ, you can invite him into your life right in your seat. For those of us who are believers, that we would be challenged to honor the Lord with our wealth. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda. M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.